just before we start, I know that we get... Can I just go off reservation for 30 seconds? Is that all right? Not me. It's not me. Allow me to go off reservation just for 30 seconds. I was just pondering something. You know when you're just in worship and things kind of flash by? Do things flash by with you in worship? Yes? And it's a statement that we made from Authentic. So I just want to make, if you wasn't inauthentic, this means nothing to you, but if you've been inauthentic, maybe this does. John, we turn around and we talk about the Father's decree. That word that he sends out will not return to him empty or void, but will accomplish that which he set it out. So we turn around and said that when man was commissioned in the garden, that commission didn't stop. Yes? And he sent it out for man to rule, to reign, to have uh, dominion, subdue. Yes? and to expand the garden. I was just sat there this morning and just the one scripture popped into my mind. And the scripture was this. And all of creation waits in eager expectation for you to come to position. So when God set creation in place and then sat man in the garden and said, work Eden from here out, creation is still waiting for you to do your job. Thank you for your underwhelming response. It meant something to me. It means something to you. Okay, are we all ready? Okay, let's come around the word. In Matthew 5 and verse 6, it says this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Simple verse. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Do you realize something? Too much of a good thing will cause you to become complacent or lacks value after a while. Do you know that? You can have anything. You can say, I am so ready. If I, you want a Christmas dinner. Who loves a Christmas dinner? What's your favorite meal? Shout out some favorite meals. What's your favorite meals? Apart from egg and chips. Egg and chips over there. I knew there was going to be an Andy egg and chips. Steaks. What else? Come on. What, curry. So there's more curry. Any more? Any more? roast dinner, it's cauliflower cheese, it's all going on. Whatever you've got, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you know when you don't have it for a while, it comes as a, it's a bit of a treat. It comes as a treat when you go, Christmas dinner. Now, we can all have a Sunday dinner, but you realise a Christmas dinner is different than a Sunday dinner. Not because it comes at Christmas. Well, you might be crackers, Scott, but don't worry about it. We can pray about that later. Christmas dinner is different because that's where you put the most effort in. That's when you go, the roast potatoes aren't aren't Aunt Bessie's. Please, if you're one of them people who go out and support Aunt Bessie by buying frozen roast potatoes, I'm going to throw you out the door now. They have to be handmade. They have to be crispy. You have to use the Jamie Oliver method. Put them out, squash them a bit, put your salt and vinegar in. Oh, hey, hey. There's a reason why... Certain meals are special because uh, you put the effort in. But if I get you a Christmas meal every day, how long before you're just picking at it? You just pick at it. It's just one of those things. You know, you just get used. You become complacent because it's before you. Now, I noticed something. There's a good term there that Kaf just shouted out. We become familiar with things. Now, I kind of believe this. I'm going to use an illustration for you. But I kind of believe even in this illustration, it's much bigger and affects much more or a wider spectrum of people than my Joel. 
Now, for those of you who know Joel, know he can be. He's creative. We'll leave it in the creative world. Joel can be creative. And then he says, he's like that because he's like you. And I say, no, he's like you. And we pass the blame for the good bits and the bad bits. The good bit he gets from me, the bad bit and the bad habits it gets from Ange. Okay, so we, we kind of work those things through. But when he was first starting work and he was around and working his chiquitos, doing the whole thing of he's got the whole, it's all going on and not drop me tray. He had one thing of saving up his tips because this is, this is a wonderful kind of mentality. It's nuts, but it works in Joel's world because it's a way of justifying things. It doesn't matter how much money I spend if it's from tips because it was never mine. I can never waste my wages but if I can waste tips because that actually is not part of my wages. So Joel did something that back in the day when it was still quite, again, you've got to understand the method, the mindset of a clerk. <laughs> and that is, oh, I don't know, to lift a lid, to lift a lid slightly, do you want to know into the dark world of a clerk? It's strange. <laughs> the dark world of a clerk works like this. I can have something, and I'll have it, and it's wonderful. But as soon as you have one, and then you have one, and you have one, I no longer want it. Okay? I don't want everything that you've got. So if you come all in green next week, I will come in purple, because I don't want everything that everybody else has got. So back in the day when it was still quite rare, like the word of the Lord, when it was quite rare, Vivian Westwood was just the name of somebody who was part of the punk world, and Joel decided he wanted these pirate boots. Now, why you would want pirate boots in Drollsden, I haven't a clue, but Joel wanted a pair of pirate boots. And he saved, and he worked, and he did extra shifts, and he got all these tips, and he bought his pirate boots. And then he came home and I saw the receipt at nearly 400 pounds for a pair of boots of going. Do you know how long he loved them boots for? About a fortnight because I've got it and now I've got it. Now what? It just became, I've got it. So now those boots go in the box, go in the cupboard. I will now chase something else. And for many of us in life in different ways, it's the chasing that we like, not necessarily the catching. And when we've got it, we don't often value that which we've caught or we've worked for. Would that, you think that's fair? We've got to that stage now, don't we, where we're that disposable generation. And so now we use a real word on trend. Can I use an advertising word? It's on trend. You know what on trend is? I'll use this for you. Let's repurpose. Is there anybody ever sees any of these creative programs, or just me living in the land of crazy, where you repurpose things, where you go, I had an ironing board, and this ironing board is now a surround sound TV, or whatever. You take something, and you make it something else. You repurpose it. But you have a purpose, and I have a purpose that shouldn't change en route. There are things that we lay hold of that maybe we've become familiar with or we put down or we shove back in the cupboard because we've just kind of, it doesn't give us the value that it once did. 
Scripture tells us that there once was a season, or can be seasons, when the word of the Lord was rare, and that there was a famine of the word. Can I just let you know, we don't live in that season. Do you know that? We don't live in the season of famine or when things are rare. But do you ever get those, they always do it, they always do it. They know what they're doing when they're scheduling, when they put the adverts on. You know when you just sit down for your tea, and then they show you famine in a certain part of the world, and you go, why do I now feel guilty for eating? They know what they're doing. They schedule to be able to get a response, okay? But then I started to think this. If God was to look down from his throne today, at you and I as individuals, what would he see? When he sees you, would he see you healthy? Would he see you malnourished? Would he see your bones showing? Or would he see you with your bloated, extended belly just making it through that unless there is an emergency touch on your life, you ain't going to make it? Does God in his throne have to spiritually call Bob Geldof and say, we need live, a live aid for the Dream Center, for Phil or any other name, insert name here, to say that you once started here, but now you've got to the stage where, unless I intervene, you ain't getting over the line. Just let that one settle for a moment. The way we perceive ourselves and spiritually what he looks like when he sees us might be two completely different things. But you know, there's a great two scriptures that I love. One Pastor Tony had picked up on and he's been working with because he pointed us in the direction. But the other one is from Psalms. But it's this, from Song of Solomon's. He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. He didn't bring me to the 99p McDonald's deal. He didn't get, bring me to the KFC £1.99 finger licking option. He brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. Psalm 23 is superb because it says this, he prepares for me a table in the midst of my enemies. Where he turns around and says, it does not matter what's going on, I will still make provision for you, even though you feel like you're fumbling around in the darkness. Even though you feel like every enemy's pressing in. Even though you feel like there's that hot breath on the back of your neck as you're being chased down. You feel like there's no escape. God says, why don't you just sit down and enjoy what I've got for you? It's not fast food. This is a full-on banquet which is laid for you and I. This is full-on goose fat. This is full-on gravy made with giblets. Sorry for you vegetarians in there. Gravy made with giblets. It's all on. There is nothing spared. Do you know when you've got that special meal as well? Not only do you have the special meal. Look at you now. You're thinking, can't wait to get next door for an oven bottom. (laughs) When you're on that table, if it's anything like Ange... If you've got anybody in your life like my aunt, which I'm blessed for, the table is full of all this array of food, which is piling, and it's, it's, I use a big word here, cornucopia. It's overflowing, this food that goes through. And then Ange needs another table 
for all your trappings of here's your sauces because here's your pickles and here's your mint sauce and here's it, and everything nothing spared God says when I lay my banqueting table before you there's nothing that's missing out everything that your heart could desire is there but then there's an old saying it's a UK saying so please bear with me the UK saying goes like this you can lead a horse to water but you can't what you can't make it drink personally I prefer the Laurel and Hardy version you can lead a you can lead a horse to water but a pencil must be led that was, that was the Laurel and Hardy. don't worry if you're not a Laurel and Hardy fan it doesn't make anything it's just done that with it but the whole process in that saying is I can bring a horse to the provision that I make but I can't force it to drink. God brings us to his banqueting table. He lays a table for us before our enemies, but he is the one who cannot bend our arms to make us be participants in the banquet. You know when you're reading through the Gospels and it says that, and they sent out the invitation to come to the banquet, and they didn't respond. So he said, go into the highways and the byways and find people hungry enough to respond. Yes? And the excuses came back. I've just bought a field. It's night time, by the way. What are you going to see in a the field? They've not got spotlights. No solar panels in these days. I've just bought a field and I need to go and see it. I've just got bought a chariot. I need to go and check it out. I've just got married. Three excuses that might be all wonderful in your world, but when God says, I put out my invitation, what is your excuse that says, I'm not coming? Because he didn't turn around and said, for the special ones, for those over six foot like myself, you are the ones who can enter. For not those under a certain fat content, for not those of a certain age band, for not those of a certain color, for those of a nationality, God says, I have laid my banquet before you. Will you come? So then we go back to the first verse. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, it's a wonderful thing that when you start to read Proverbs, you see wisdom has an arm that it extends. And then the harlot extends her arm as well. And the wisdom arm goes like this. When you pursue wisdom, to you it is like choice meat and perfume wine. The harlot will give you, and stolen water is sweet. If you read other scriptures, it talks about it's bread and water. One side is giving you prison food. The other side is giving you the very best that you can ever have. But the choice is ours whether or not we will walk in that. So we've used that term right at the beginning, righteousness. So what is righteousness? Righteousness, simple, the ability to stand right with God. Kill the church word for a moment, righteousness. The ability to stand right with God. Who makes us righteous? Jesus Christ. So he makes me righteous, but then it's my job to stand in that righteousness. And how important is righteousness to God? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. So God said, with righteousness, this needs to be as key to you as it is to me. Everything is seated on righteousness and justice. Is that all right? But then we get that dealing with familiarity. So Psalm 42, 1 to 2 says this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. 
My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with him? There's an urgency. There's an importance. There's an anticipation of everything that's put in there. Now, for those of you who maybe had the privilege and the blessing of being to Malaysia with us, and you know that Phil turns into Boy Scout number one, just to make sure you're all right, always says this, if you can sleep and you stay hydrated, then you'll be all right. But if you don't sleep, Veronica, not looking at you, if you don't sleep, Veronica, and you don't drink, then you can take nothing in because your body starts shutting down. So rule number one, rule of thumb, please, there's no, yeah, I can, I'm fine, I'll get away with it. If you go and have a wee and it's yellow, you're dehydrated. If you're thirsty, you're already dehydrated. Yeah? So here's this person going, I'm thirsting for you. Spiritually, is also something there where they're dropping down. So can I get Mancunian just for a minute? Am I allowed to get Mancunian? Can I be Mancunian? Can we just celebrate Mancunian for a minute? When you're gagging, (laughs) when you've got a mouth like Gandhi's flip-flop, when you're absolutely parched, yeah, I don't care about your splashbacks. I don't care that I will drink water from your dirty, swell, uh, sweaty boot if I'm pressed hard enough. If I'm in the desert and everything's going bad and you pull out your shoe and it's full of Evian, it's full of anything, you know what, that's not a time to get selective. That's a time of whatever it is, I'm going to drink it down. See, you're glad that I just chose the picture of somebody's dirty boot. I could have gone all the way over here to our friend Bear Grill, who had elephant poo in a sock and was sucking the water out. Well, that's for another day. When you're desperate enough on survival, you will do whatever it takes to get through. And he's saying there, blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Psalm 63, 1 says this, You are my God and my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, and my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Practical note, note to self, write this down, get your pen out, highlight it, put a circle around it, do whatever. There will be times in your life where you feel like God is a million miles away where I can't sense him, I can't touch him, I can't see him, I can't hear him, I'm in a dry place. Anybody ever been there? Right, so I'm not on my own. (laughs) I thought it was only me. But it seems like we're covering it in more ways. But listen, let me give you this one worst of advice. When you can't sense him, see him, feel him, hear him, draw close to him, trust him. When you don't sense him, you need to learn to trust him. I believe in you. We're singing the song. Right, let's go back to that change word. I have faith in you. Never will I leave you or forsake you. I don't sense you. You're not here, but I'm still here. You just don't sense me. He never moved. And sometimes... Do you know, as parents, for, for those of us who have the blessings of being parents or grandparents, there is that wonderful time. It's called teaching your kids how to swim. It's called teaching your kids how to get some grazes by how to ride a bike. Now, we've got little tinks. Rubes do it at the minute. She's still got stabilizers on. And she thinks the world is perfect because I can rattle down this street on my bike with my stabilizers. But we've not started taking them off yet. 
But when you take them off, there is that bit where you hold the back of the seat, they get the balance, you go with them. Now, again, this is Ange saying your son is like you. When we were teaching Joel to ride, Joel rode, got about from here to the wall, fell off, left the bike, walked away. Where you going? Get back on the bike. Cycling's not for everybody, father, because he always calls me father. That's at seven. Cycling is not for everybody. And just literally walked away. You're getting back on there. And you will be learning how to ride a bike. And he broke it through, but it was that whole thing of, it didn't work for me, I'll just leave it over here. So there are times in life where God is teaching you something where he doesn't leave you, he just steps back and carries on to walk while you're in, thinking that you're in control. And at any time, he can still lay hold of you. But when you don't sense him, you must learn to trust him. Is that fair? Zechariah 9, 11 is, says this, and it's a wonderful scripture. It says, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant, so God brings us straight into the power of covenant, the covenant I have with you, I will free you, uh, your prisoners from waterless places. It's God's intention that you always live in a place of that living spring, the well of that fountain of life. God does never want you to be in a barren, dry place. Thank you, Kath. God does not want you to live in any way, shape, or form where you feel that life is barren and dry. Because out of you will flow streams of living water. I did never, ever see a time in Scripture where it says, but, or, when, that you can flow between the seasons of, between spring and summer, there will be provision. Over winter, we will shut it down because we're all going on our break. And then, uh, then we have a Christmas period where it's two weeks, everybody's down, shut down, shut the office, and everything's gone. That flow is a continual flow because the flow comes from the throne down and never stops. God's intention, he says, I will set you free from the burden of living in a dry and barren place. My covenant that I make with you is that you don't have to be in a dry and barren place. Who gets put in a dry and barren place? Luke eleven twenty four says this. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. The place of barrenness and a waterless place is for the enemy. It's never your portion. If you're at the place where you're going, God, I'm feeling dry. God, I feel I'm parched. Right, as a deer pants for the water. Lord God, I'm seeking you. Where can I find you? As I'm laying hold of him, as I'm walking, the provision just keeps coming and coming and coming. In John 6, 35, it says this, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, does it seem like a paradox? Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But once you've found me, you will never hunger and thirst again. But in that hunger and thirsting, I still desire his presence and still desire to be where he is. But there's always provision, but there's a place inside him that says, I still want more of you. Did I just speak in a big riddle? There's that place of provision that says, my God, when I was far off, I could never meet that gap that was missing in me. There was a hunger, there was a thirst, and I never knew what it was. But when I found you, you were like bread to me. 
for your word when it came was bread and it was seed. Bread for the eater, seed for the sower. You gave me the ability to expand. You gave me the ability to meet my needs. You gave the ability that out of me will flow that stream of living water that others could start to draw into, that they too could be taken away from barrenless places. Oh my God. But the paradox is hunger and thirst, but you will never hunger and thirst because once I found him, everything changes. Is that all right? Now, I'll read you a scripture. I'll quote you a scripture first and then I'll read it. But where righteousness is concerned, there is a missing factor. Oh, oh, got your attention there, didn't we? There is a missing factor. We all know and probably can quote, the just shall... Romans 1.17. The just shall live by faith. Now, I was brought up on that. I'm quoting, and the just shall live by faith. And the just shall live by faith. And the just shall live by faith. So I've got it. It's in. I know it. The just shall live by faith. I might not be able to quote many verses, but if somebody pumped me with a stick and said, quote a verse, I could say, the just shall live by faith. Yeah? I was good at the little ones. I'm good at remembering little ones. You know my favorite verse for remembering? This is Bible School 101. And Jesus wept. I thought, I can remember that one. That's, that's, close, that's short enough. But it's only when you move away from the King James and you start to read every other translations that this changes context. Because we quote, and the just will live by faith, because we know it. But then I surprised myself this week by actually opening my Bible. That was a surprise for me in the first place. I opened my Bible, went to Romans 1, 17, just to be able to write down the reference for the just shall live by faith. And it says, and the righteous will live by faith. Every translation outside of the King James says, and the righteous will live by faith. So blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. But righteousness and how I pursue righteousness is all wrapped in one bubble called faith. So when Pastor Tony's been talking about faith and the different aspects and how many areas we can go into, and we're going to be here for weeks, I can assure you, but it puts a completely different context on it. Now let me, can I help you? Because I'm helping me in helping you. Soon as we start talking faith, we have an out-of-body experience. Because he goes, he's talking to everybody, but not me. Because he's talking about them strange people with beards who live up on the mountaintop with God, whatever her name is. (laughs) We have a mountaintop experience. They are the people who dwell and live in this special world of faith. But you and I live in that special world called faith we just want to keep turning it off don't we try and see if i'll spin this one round let me have a little play first in ephesians 5 8 to 10 it says this for you were once in darkness is that not what we said this morning in our worship Darkness did not understand it, but Jesus comes as the life and light of men. You were once in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Now, what did we say? What is the foundation of his throne? 
Righteousness and... So we know that what pleases the Lord is righteousness and justice. And if you read scripture, just see the way that he stands. Forget Jeremy Corbyn. I know the election's coming up. But let's not just the socialist, right? Let's push it over this side. God was the first one who shouted for people's rights. When he turns around and says, you must have a conscience about widows and orphans. As a boss, you must treat your employees right. You must pay your debt because when you don't, you put other people into positions of poverty. All of this, God was the first one that shouted for your rights before Jeremy Corbyn did. Do you know that? And it was God who started off the NHS. God started the NHS. For by my stripes, you will be healed and there's no cost and you don't need an insurance policy. So we need to find out what pleases God. So now, here you're all good students this morning. Let's roll this one out, because I'm sure we're all going to get 10 out of 10. We're all going to be A1 students this morning. Now we're finding out what pleases the Lord. And without faith... And without faith is... No, sorry, I was waiting for the rest of the verse. Oh, because we just camp at and without faith, it's impossible to please God. But shall I carry on? Because anyone comes to him must believe that he exists and that he will reward those who earnestly or diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I'll just have faith. Hang on. But must believe that I exist, I have the power to do what I will do, and then you will earnestly seek me. For blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you shall be filled. Faith is not passive. It starts not with the spooky spiritual, it starts with you and me and our everyday walk. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. Shall I give you the great faith misconception? The great faith misconception works like this. I thank God for heroes of the faith that have gone before us. So we have the likes of Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth was known for one particular phrase. You must only believe. Now, if you want to know where that comes from, it comes from John's Gospel, when the disciples said, what must we do to do the works of the Father? And Jesus' response is, you must believe in the one that he sent. Right? Speaking of Jesus. So he says, you must just believe. But then the charismaniacs come involved. And the charismaniacs, in wanting to take everything and pull it all into the centre of church, because we've not had stuff, people have not been healed, church has been really boring, lives are not such, people are not being saved, there's no healing, there's no breakthrough, there's no supernatural, there's no manifestations, there's no uh, prophetic. All of that, which is part and parcel of your church life, wasn't around. And then God starts to move on his church, and he starts to say, as you believe and move, God does stuff. So he moved in an area where people's lives are going, if you trust God of the word, that things will change. But then charismania, anything that comes in, anything that comes into church is always on a pendulum. And the pendulum will always swing to extremes. So when we talk about the prophetic, there's always some crazy nutcase over here 
trying to prophesy stuff. And then we say, no, what we need to do is pull away from prophecy because of the crazy nutcase, and so you don't use it. But one of the greatest things I heard was uh, David Sherman said years ago, the answer to misuse is not disuse, but correct use. So when we learn what the correct use is for faith, when we find the correct use for the prophetic, for biblical patterns, for governance, everything has its order in place. The pendulum comes back to the middle, yes? So in this, we found it that faith became, if you just have faith, you can have stuff. Don't tell me you've not been in those big meetings where what I'm going to do, I'm going to press the greed button in every single one of you. Because we know God's a God of his word and he will answer his word. Chris, let me just tell you that you can never outgive God. For every 10 you give him, he's going to give you back a hundredfold. So you know what I'm doing now? I'm now working the spiritual stock market. How much can I afford to get out of my bank account to give him because he's going to give it me back a hundredfold? So what I'm doing is, I'm no longer even dealing with the spirit dynamic, I'm dealing with your greed nature. I'm going to press a certain button. And all you need to do, Chris, because if you can visualize it, visualize it and you can see it in your spirit, you can have it. You can have it, Chris, there's nothing that you can't have. You want that new house, you want that new car, you want whatever you want, all you need to do, bring your offering before the Lord. And you know what? You know when you give? You're never giving until it hurts. When it, hurt, it hurts you, it doesn't hurt me because I'm the one who's taking your offering. But when it, you give and it hurts, then God's going to hear your prayer from on heaven. He's going to hear it and you're going to have your hundredfold return, Chris. That's it because this is the word of God to you. If only that was true. Do you know the same thing? Let me just step away from church here a minute, step on, put a different hat on. Do you know in get rich quick schemes, you know the only person who's getting rich is the one who tells you about how you can get rich in his scheme. I will not share with you the name of the ministry, but we had it because the guy driving the car was chauffeuring the people and the ministry around was the one who was in the car at the time when they're pulling out and splitting between themselves 45,000 pounds that they've just taken in offerings and asking the question, how much can I get through customs without declaring it? And being on the phone, hit the CDs, get it out, get the ministry out, get as much money out of them as you can, might be a slightly different monster that stands here and smiles and says, you've got to give to leads if it hurts. The craziest thing, and for those of you who've ever seen the... Um, iBook that are produced on turning the table there's a piece of video that's in there where a guy comes in church and this is it because this is crazy this is what I need I don't need to save you from this is what we need to be saved from from a spirit that moves in the church at the times it goes like this and this is almost verbatim okay this is almost me giving you the track TV ministry the guy says you may be struggling tonight you may be in debt you may have credit card debt so what is the term? You may have credit card debt. You may be struggling. But the Lord says to me that if you put $1,000 on your credit card, send me that as an offering, the Lord's going to clear your credit card debt. So the people already struggling, the people who don't know how to get out of that situation, I'm now going to put you in more in a hole. And who gets the blame at the end of it when it doesn't work? God, you did not come through, not the fact that I didn't have the counsel or maybe I didn't have the wisdom to respond in that. 
I just heard a word that was going to help me in my situation. And the man who represents God said yes. So I trusted the word from the man of God to set me free, but actually put me more in bondage. Rule number one. When anybody ever asks you for an offering... It can hit your soul, it can hit your spirit, you can be moved in your emotions, they play the right kind of music, we show you a picture, we can do whatever, and instantly that bag comes around, you go, I better sign up for this. And you're signing up with things that are most of the time we don't have, we had the wish to, and we'll fulfill it and we'll pass out. If there's anything ever legitimate, they will never ever have a problem with you saying, I'm just going to take 24 hours, I just need to just... Wait before the Lord, and I'll send you something or whatever. But in that moment when somebody's going, no, Chris, you better respond now because the Spirit of God's here, and while he's here, you need to respond. That is called manipulation. And I'll be signing up to something. You know, you've just given me kidneys away. I've done something. I put my kids in. I've done something. It's all gone. You know, I just went on a complete rabbit trail, so just forgive me. But let that be a note to self. If you're somewhere and someone presses you and you're moved, there is nothing wrong with taking 24 hours just to take a step back and just go in, talk to somebody with some counsel and say, I felt this, what do you think? And let them speak into it. Yes? I didn't say don't respond to the word of the Lord. I'm saying don't respond when somebody's twisting your arm that says, if you don't get it today, it's going to be gone, somebody else will take it. Yeah? Yeah? So meanwhile, back at faith. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more, more than you can imagine, according to the power that works within us. Our God is the God of the immeasurably more. Our God is the God of the immeasurably more. Whether you like it or have experienced it, it doesn't change. You go, in my life, I've never seen God to be the God of the immeasurably more. Can't say it. I say, I've not experienced that in my life. Right, well, pursue him to experience it. It's not for special people. It's God wants to come for you, through for you, as much as he does for the next guy. God has a track record. I will do what I said I will do. Again, another big word, the immutability of God. What I have power to do for Chris, because Chris has been our illustration this morning. I'm sorry, Chris, you sat right there. What he can do for Chris, he can also do for David. And what he can do for David, he can do for Carol. What he can do for Carol, he can do for David and Veronica. He has no special. Yeah? He wants to be able to come through. Now, the issue is where we grow faith. Now, remember what Pastor Tony said, that we need to grow in our faith. Is that right? In our work, walk, witness, and worship. In those four areas, we're starting to grow so that we have greater measures of faith that's produced Our faith comes because we've learned to trust him and we've seen where he's answered and come through for us. Once God comes through for you in an area, that area is never anymore open to negotiation. If God breaks through in an area of healing in your life and you are touched and he breaks something through, there is no problem when you say, my God, by your stripes I'm healed. I don't know because he came through. 
So maybe he came through financially, maybe he came through in connections, maybe he came through in so many different areas, but once he's done it, it's almost like, I don't have a problem. I can relax in this because he's done it before. It allows us the confidence to know who he is and that he comes through. Let's speed through these last bits. You cannot exist on yesterday's faith. It's like fresh manna. Every day they had to go and get fresh manna. Now, it just sounds like a contradiction to what I've just said, that once he's come through in an area, you can take that to the bank. But when he presses me, maybe what I believed for before, that God, I had faith that you healed my Veruca, Veronica. I had a Veruca, but now I've got something else. Maybe it's something worse. Maybe there's a a lifelong condition. Maybe it's diabetes. Maybe there's something that's debilitative. Maybe I've got a heart condition. But then I have to find faith to say, not only did you come through for me, but I've got faith that that same God who touched me will also touch you. And the faith that touches you can also touch others. That faith is expanding. Hebrews 11, 1 to 7 says this. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command and that what we've seen is not made out of what is visible. By faith, Abel brought a better sacrifice or offering than Cain did. And by faith, he was commended as righteous. Oh, oh. When God spoke of well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. And by faith, he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness. And he is keeping this faith. By faith, they understood. By faith, there was revelation. By faith, they knew protocol. Faith was never to get. Moses writes Genesis. Was Moses around in the garden? He gets that by the Holy Ghost and his connection with Jesus Christ. He gets this is how the world came together. By faith, he understands that there is no big bang. He understands how God creates Revelation comes to him by faith. Abel brings a better sacrifice. He understands the protocol. So understanding flows from that. Enoch walked with God intimacy and he knew him. That by faith, they knew how to encounter God in a different way. So as we said, those four, four words from Pastor Tony about work, walk, witness and faith. Let me just tell you about faith. You can't spray it on. You can go to the traffic center and get an awful lot of fragrances. I know, trust me, I've been dragged around them shops an awful lot. You can even go on Facebook and buy the mini-me copy. It's not called Poison, it's called Kaizen. It's spelt wrong, they'll add an extra roll, they'll do something. It's half the price, but it's not quite the original. But it smells all right for about half an hour. You cannot spray faith on. You cannot psych yourself up for faith. I pull Eric here, say, Eric, stand here, we're going to pray for the sick. We bring out the sick, he can't suddenly do, do you know, anybody, you must have seen it, it's everywhere. The advert that's on TV at the minute, and it's Sky's advert, for the All Blacks versus the Lions. Have you seen the advert? 
And it's every man and his dog doing their... And they all got it going on. Tongues coming out and their eyes are poking. Because everybody, he was a new... He said, once you're an old black, you're taught that from school. Yeah? So you do the dance that intimidates your enemy, and it's all going on, and you have your pokey eyes. It's all going on. I said, but once a lion, always a lion. We don't need a dance. I can bring Eric out here and say, right, you better get your Christian Maori dance on because we're going to be bringing up some monsters in a minute. And he can go, get it all going and try and psych himself up. If there is no faith, there is no faith. But when I've learned to walk with him and hear him and be around, do you know what you can't also do? But people think they can. You can't fake it. You can't fake, fake faith. You can fool yourself but you'll never fool anybody else. It's something that we all want, but it's something we don't know how to get. Now, Pastor Tony used a great term last week, didn't he? He said, will you measure your measure? So if we was to pull out that measuring stick this morning and say, right, where faith is concerned, am I growing in faith? Rule number one goes like this. Very simple rule number one. If you have no walk, if you have no work, if you have no witness, if you have no worship, you don't need any. If you're bothered about just going to church, turning up each week, occasionally throw something in the bag when it passes, and saying that you're a Christian, you don't need any. If you think anything that you do in life you can accomplish by yourself, you don't need any. So if you fall into any of those three brackets, I am not talking to you. But if you want to be someone who finds out how to please the Lord, then you must learn to walk in faith. Walking in faith is not the land of the spooky spiritual. Walking in faith is, I have found you in your word. I have found you in my worship. I have found you in intimacy when I've gone to where you are. And I believe that you will do what you say you will do. You will come through me. Today, the kingdom has come near you. Why? Because I believe that that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is living and active in me. Now, if that spirit that lived in Jesus when, you know what, I'm listening to what the Father says, and he said, pray for Chris, I'm praying for Chris. If he says, go and speak, then he says, go and speak. If he says, now's the time to walk away, it's the time to walk away. But if I've got that same spirit and his nature in me, it will work in me the same way it wanted to work in him. You didn't get the dumbed-down version. For those who are slightly more techy than others, and if you're not techy, tough, but you can download a free app, or you'll do something, and you'll go to use it, and it'll say, oh, you have limited amounts of features unless you buy the full version. When the Holy Ghost came in you, he didn't come with limited features. He came all-encompassing. Which brings us to our final section. So what? Mark 46 says this. It says, um, 
Then they came to Jericho, as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting at the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they'll call the man and said, cheer up. Up, tell your face, is a Mancunian expression that Jesus said here, tell your face, on your feet, he's calling you, throwing off his cloak, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want from me or do you want me to do, Jesus asked him. The blind man says, Sherlock, I want to see. Jesus said, your faith has healed you and immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the way. We could spend an entire Sunday morning just on this bit, but let's just... Skip over it really quickly. You can do your own research. It says that they went to Jericho and they were leaving. Is that right? Is that what it says? Verse 46. They came to Jericho and as Jesus and his disciples were leaving, they met Bartimaeus. Why in an entire city is there not one thing recorded when he's met everybody else? Jesus comes to the city and when they're leaving, he meets Bartimaeus. There is nothing recorded that the Holy Ghost says, I need to get your attention to, because what happened there is mundane. But something happened that should get your attention. We raised the point before. They hear that it's Jesus. The crowd didn't see what a blind man did. Blind Bartimaeus was, there is the man that I can meet and bring me out of my darkness. I have faith in this man that I've never spoken to, never met, never bumped into, that my situation can change, the God of miracle can still break through if he can just touch me. Everybody else is there and no one's placing a demand. He starts to shout, they tell him to shut up. Peer pressure will always tell you to sit down and shut up. Can I let you into two things? You might not like this, but I'll let you into it anyway. Because this is something you should note down in your Bible, because this will be you sometime. You cannot save face while seeking his. You cannot save face while seeking his. And at times, ask King David, your dignity might be exposed in pursuit of deity. When David danced before the Lord and his wife turned around and went, you dipstick, you know that's on Facebook. Everybody's seen it. You've made us a laughing stock. And you know, it says from that moment, intimacy with her stopped. At times there will be a dignity when meeting deity and you cannot keep face while pursuing his. So this morning when the Lord says, and you catch that spirit that says, make your declaration, not the time to put your hands in your pockets and go, and you whisper under your breath, that's the time to shout, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus had to take it from the word of the people around him that Jesus was passing by. Had he ever seen Jesus? And he met Jesus. 
did he know what Jesus looked like? So somebody has to say, here's Jesus and not the back end of an ox. I have to trust. And in that level of trust, there's something really simple. It works this way. When there are seasons of you not being able to see God, you must trust those around you who can. When we say, this is the way, come this way, this is, we're going to introduce you back. That's not a jar, a time for you to stumble around in the dark. Try, I'll make it, somebody, I'll make it myself. And you're going all in the wrong direction. Let somebody take you by the arm. It's not a time for you to go, I'm all right, I can do it. I'm all right, I'll make it work myself. Uh, you don't have any sense of humility to be led. You just decide, I'm all right, I'll look after number one. But in looking after number one, you're actually defeating yourself. Now, we use this term, and this is with our conclusion, we're finishing this. Just give me two minutes and we're done. We used the term last week in the prayer meeting, and we picked it up again on Thursday night in our Authentic. There was a question that I felt the Lord asked me, the Spirit asked me a week ago. And that was, what do you do when the Lord stops knocking? Because blessed are they who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. He doesn't desire that we live in waterless places, but have full provision. I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. So everything that we've got is already in this package. Now you turn around and say, God, I, I believe, Phil, that the God that we represent isn't a God who stops knocking. Well, then we read the scripture where Jesus sits and weeps over Jerusalem and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, why have you missed the day of your visitation? Now, I thank God that he's a God of grace, that even though maybe we miss our moment this morning where God said, you can have your breakthrough, make a declaration. You didn't because you had your finger up your nose or you're a bit embarrassed or whatever. It's not your moment. I'm just not switched on in church today that we pray by his grace and mercy. He comes round again. Now, how long I have to wait for that to come round again that's in God's hands, but I believe that it'll still come through. When Pastor Tony turned around and said about the, a uh, few weeks ago, he used the illustration of Abraham. It was 14 years that God stopped speaking to Abraham. When Abraham decided to have his moment, God walked away. It was 14 years before he revisited him. And I can assure you, Abraham's response was slightly different when he came around the second time around. So you must recognize in faith of knowing that we can trust him, in faith of understanding that this walk of wanting to please him, have fellowship with him, revelation, understanding, and intimacy, all of that is wrapped up in this bubble. I must know and recognize when he's knocking on the door. Who's knocking on my door? Now, I bet you, I bet you, if I, if I wasn't married and I had some money, I could actually bet you put a fiver on it that I'm not speaking about me. I bet I'm speaking to every single one of you when I'm in here today. I'm often told that we do a crazy thing because we don't lock our front door. Never lock our front door. I'm, I'm kind of thinking, why do I not need to lock my front door? I'm sat here. I'll lock my front door if I'm going out, but if I'm in, I don't need to lock my door. Okay? So I'm sat there. I can sit in my living room and I will tell you who's coming through my front door. When that door flies open, I'll know before any noise, any word, that Ruby's just come in. Because a tornado just came through the door. And it's always the front door gets smacked against that other wall, and you hear it bouncing back, and you go, and we'll just got Ruby's here. 
I know when Dan walks through my door. Because when Dan opens the door, he seems to think that for some strange reason, this plastic door may have warped, it may have been something, so how hard can I shut it? And the entire wall will vibrate when Dan shuts the door. And you'll go, here's Dan. I'll know who comes through my door. I'll respond to that because I know. But do I recognize when he's knocking? Do I recognize when he's coming through? Now, the statement was made from this, from Song of Solomon's, that he came, put his hand through the latch, and there was myrrh oil on his hand. And when I didn't respond because it was inconvenient, he left a fragrance on the door, door handle, and he went away. Some of us are happy to live with the fragrance that he once visited rather than him. Okay? Now, on that, do you remember what I told you about the weirdness of Clark's? I'll give you a little bit more of a weirdness of Clark. This we'll finish with. In a land far, far away in a time long ago, I was on a Malaysia adventure. (laughs) And on my Malaysia adventure, everything's going well on my Malaysia adventure. It's all okay. God's doing stuff, stripping some bits out, putting some bits in. I'm kind of knowing that I'm in having open heart surgery, but I'm all right because I trust him. I'm okay. I'm sat in a restaurant. It's Sunday afternoon. In, back in the days when you only, only used to get two hours off a week. Chris knows. Andy knows. I'm sat in the classic Chinese restaurant. I'm up on the third floor spending me 50 ringgits on a Chinese dinner. I'm sat there and in a moment of being around this table, instantly something happened. Ooh, I'm having one of them moments. You have a choke a sec. And in that moment, it's like, you know, when everything goes in kind of slow motion and you live in this world, you're here and you're moving, but everything else, it looks like everybody's talking. It's all like that. You know, somebody pressed the almost slow motion button, but you're okay. And in a moment, the weirdest thing happened. The weirdest thing happened was this. I went... I can't remember what she smells like. The weirdest thing in the world. And I just started to, I was filling up and I was choking. I've got people looking at me going, your dinner's not that bad, is it? (laughs) Because nobody's living in your world in that moment. And the whole thing for me was, I need to get back to where she is so I can smell her again. I know that's weird for you guys. So it's, it's, but this is why the clerks keep the lid on. <laughs> I needed that connection back. Now, the smell wasn't Ange. Because I can assure you I got the smell from the embrace and where there's that stuff. I wasn't... Ange just... What's, what, I didn't ring her up. What perfume do you wear, Ange? Spray, you know, let me give you that piece of card. Here's the missus. I've got the missus. The spray that she wears wasn't her. There was, there's a, a fragrance that she carries. And the Lord said to me, brought all of that back and said, the way you felt about that smell, just imagine what it's like when you know me and you embrace me and you can be bothered getting off your bed to meet me and open the door. It was like, Because you've asked the question, find out what pleases me. Connect with me. 
And if I come aside and draw near, then not only do I grow in faith, righteousness, revelation, and understanding, the intimacy that we all search for in God isn't spooky spiritual. It's a reality for all of us. The walk that we carry is a walk of faith, righteousness, light, and the spirit. This week, why don't you do a personal audit? Why don't you be honest with yourself for once? Have your personal audit and say, my God, that bit that we picked up before, that if there was to look down from heaven, am I healthy? Am I malnutritioned? We've got this malnutrition in me. Malnourished, that's the word, isn't it? Am I ribs showing? Or am I at the state of my extended belly where, God, unless you come through, all the wheels fall off tomorrow. You won't make it. Little Jimmy won't make it unless you break out. We're using faith and talking about faith, and it seems like something that lives out there. But God says that when you walk, the righteous will live by faith, knowing that he exists, knowing that I'll seek him, knowing that he's giving me everything, knowing that out of me, he doesn't leave me in a barren place, knowing that he doesn't leave me in the dark because he's the light to me, knowing that he wants intimacy. And it was so glorious, he said to Enoch, you've found a place of being with me. Come, come, stay with me forever. There is that element of faith, which is your measure and my measure. That is our portion. So ask yourself today, maybe even this week, as you said in your quiet time, My God, I need that freshness to come upon me so I can find you in a completely different way. Maybe you need to repent and say, God, you know, so many times you've knocked on the door and it's been inconvenient. But you want to fellowship with me in a way that I've never fellowshiped with you before. I've been stuck for two months in John's gospel. Because here's a point. The gospels are not there to show you that Jesus did miracles. The Gospels are not there to show you how Bartimaeus came or to explain where Jesus came from. The Gospels are there for one reason, to show you how a son interacts with his father and how that when he came along, I only do what he tells me to do. This is how he drew away, that when everything was pressing him, because they've said, look, the biggest gospel campaign is ever available. There's a city waiting for you. I must go and meet with my father. He put priority first. So when I learn to find the intimacy and what that brings to me, I open the door, and it's not just a fragrance on the lock. Just watch how your life changes. And the faith that you speak of other people having will be your portion. Let's stand to our feet. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst. They shall be filled. Amen. Come on, let's just raise our hands just for a minute. Let's just seal what's, what's been said and been done today. Father God, we just pray right now in Jesus' name that, Lord God, we are so used to, Lord God, and become so accustomed to things not happening that, Lord God, Father, when you talk about it, will, that, Lord, our hearts don't know how to respond. But I pray this morning that, Lord God, there will be a greater measure and understanding of faith, a greater measure and understanding of intimacy with you or touching you. Lord God, I pray this morning that will, there will not be one ceiling or heaven that's like brass. But, Lord God, I pray that as we minister to you, Lord God, as we bring our worship and our prayers, that we'll know that you hear our prayers, that you always hear us, Lord God, that, Father, you hear and you respond. 
Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that there will be a greater intimacy in our worship. Lord God, as you reveal yourself to the, through the word. Lord God, Father, your word declared, you reveal yourself to Samuel through your word. Lord God, I pray, open our eyes, cause the scales to fall off our eyes this morning. Give us revelation, give us understanding, Lord God, as we have our portion in you. We have our portion in you again, Lord God. But cause us to have a work, cause us to have a walk, cause us to have our worship, Lord God. Father, as we lay hold of you again, we want to bless you, we want to give you, give you all glory, Lord God. And Father, I pray that may our lives be living epistles written by men of where you have laid out your hand upon our lives and where men will know, and it was noted that Eric had been with Jesus. Oh my God, I pray, let every life be a carrier of the kingdom, be a carrier of that, that expression. May the fragrance you pour on us be smelt by every man, that people say, what are you wearing? I am wearing the Christ. My God, Father, we pray right now, seal your word. Lord God, Father, cause us to see differently, cause us to feel differently, cause us to be stretched this year in a way like we've never been stretched before. As you draw us close, and the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Amen.